We have some news, so we are back. Off-season podcast number dos. Um, something to talk about. Um, we not... are back with a cat. We are back Say with hi, a cat. Evie. Which one is that? That's Evie. Nice. She's got red eyes. She's she's gorgeous. Um, this is the Town Tell Podcast. I'm Chris Madrigal, and that is Julio Reynoso right there um, on the other side of my screen. Um, yeah, so we it's not news necessarily about, if you've been living under a rock and don't know, it's not news necessarily about Major League Baseball, like the season, but it's news about Major League Baseball and the Hall of Fame, so we have a guest coming on, a good friend of ours who's going to come and talk about that, um, talk about the one induction and also the snubs and um, where the Hall of Fame now, um, where it stands and, and um, how the public is viewing it, because this induction created quite the social media conversation the past two days it's like literally just filled up my entire feed so um that's gonna be interesting um but we also have some news about the a's and uh julio why don't you start off that first piece of news um with the the barry zito of the big three the ace actually no tim hudson was the ace start off with the tim hudson of the big three Tim Hudson, God, way to just really burn that, you know, dig a little bit deeper knowing that Tim Hudson fell off the Hall of Fame ballot. But yeah, a couple big things have happened for the A's over this last month. I know we recorded one at the beginning of the year when Mark Kotze was officially hired as the A's manager. Yeah. Well, great news. He has he has filled up his coaching staff. Um, and before we get into the deeper talks of who is who, what they do, I'm going to blow the horns real quick. <clears throat> My amateur horns here. Ready, guys? <clears throat> da, 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 da. Damn, Darren gosh. Bush is no longer the hitting coach of the Oakland Athletics. Just round of applause. <laughs> we did it, folks. Bullying works. All of you, all of us Dude, on those Twitter. horns were fucking compl- good. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I've been, all of us who complaining on Twitter for so long about Darren Bush. Being the A's hitting coach, he's no longer the hitting coach. He's now the third base coach, which, you know, maybe maybe that's a better sign. I actually really like this coaching staff. I was pretty pumped about it. Me too. Yeah. So let's jump a little bit deeper on there. So Mark Kotze, manager, we've known that. Um, Brad Osmus, I think that news came out after we recorded. So Brad Osmus, a former coach, a former manager of the Los Angeles Angels, as the Detroit Tigers, uh, Retired catcher. He is now going to be the A's bench coach. Um, Chris, you got something to say there about this? Already? I just want to make a comment about when this was announced, Julio like texted me. He's like super pumped about it. He's like, Brad Osmus, fuck yeah, bench coach. Dude, it's going to be awesome. Like, I can't like uh, such a huge like win for us with the coaching staff. And I'm like, I was like, dude, it's a, it's a, it's just a fucking, it's just a bench coach. Like he's going to like, you know, he's going to click timers on people running bases. He's going to like, you know, he's going to, Mark Kotze going to be like, Hey Brad, can you go put the lineup out? Like that, that's all he's going to do. Like just make it a joke. And Julio was like, damn it, Chris. Like, like this is the only piece of, of baseball information we've gotten in a month. Like, let me get excited over this. And I'm like, you're right. We should get excited over it. It's our golden ticket. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our first base, we have Mark or Eric Martins, a uh, third or th- first base coach, a uh, third base coach. We got Darren Bush. Uh, emo will still be the base pitching coach, pitching coach. Thank as God. well as Marcus Jensen as the bullpen coach. Uh, the couple new additions, though, is Mark Everidge. He's coming up from the minor leagues. He's going to be the new hitting coach. 
And then assistant hitting coach is going to be Chris Crone. Uh, if that last Good name, name sounds right familiar. There. Uh, if the last name sounds familiar, he is the father of uh, CJ Crone, who really tore it up with the Rockies this year. A uh, quick breakdown on some of the guys or, that are coming up, some of the newer names. Excuse me. Eric Martins was previously the assistant hitting coach, and then he switched over to be the first base coach, and now he's going to be the uh, full-time first base coach, which is pretty cool. Um and then Tommy Everidge, he was actually a part of the A's minor league system back in their early 2010s. Yeah, that name hired. sounds super familiar. <clears throat> oh, the A's drafted him out of Sonoma State, so not early 2010s, my mistake, but he retired in the early 2010s. He started becoming uh, a coach in the A's minor league system, starting off in the lower A's ball system. He eventually just climbed that ladder, which the A's really love, those guys who do work in the organization. And last year he was up in AAA in Vegas and he got the call. He's going to be over in the big leagues as a hitting coach. So, uh, Chris, let's go ahead and start it off with Osmus. I know you said, hey, this is just a dude who's going to be clicking buttons. That's just you and your usual dick behavior. Um, but, like, in all I was honesty, making a like, joke. What you... Relax, bro. I was making a joke. <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt of your face that it was a joke. But uh, what would you, what do you think is like some of the things that you're actually like are positive about or like excited about with this addition to this coaching staff? Well, I think just think he brings like a little bit of an older older veteran presence because a lot of these guys are a little bit younger um, on the coaching staff. Um, so uh, and and he you know he he's very analytical as well. So I think he's gonna help he's gonna help a lot with that. But. Um, in in term, I think in terms of like how he can, what he can do with the lineup card, because a lot of his teams in the past have been offensive driven, and it, it, we need some more consistency with that. So I think that he'll be able to notice certain things in in our lineup and look at certain numbers and see how like certain guys are hitting next to other guys and try to utilize that and take use that advantage because that's one thing that we haven't done in the past. Um, we have not, and that goes with the hitting coach too. So so, but I think that he'll learn that off of brad osmus it's just utilizing the spots in the lineup and and having guys hit in the right places to to get everything you can out of them and we need that badly and he's had a lot of success with that i mean he came it you know he was with the he was the angels most recently so it, it makes sense that he would utilize that but like everywhere he's been that's been a that's been a definitely a trend i think especially with katze this is going to be his first managerial gig um, having the, not really like the, the veteran in the room, like he, he has had coaching stits. They haven't been successful, but like he's had some pretty notable players that he's coached at the time, Miguel Cabrera, you know, Mike Trout. I think he may have been there for Otani's first year. I could be wrong with that, but the guy has seen a lot of baseball and, um, he's seen a lot I of different one... hitters too. Yeah, absolutely. He's pretty familiar with the AL West. Even dating back to his days where, um, or I think they were in the NL Central at the time when he was with the Astros. But I'm just looking forward to somebody who Kate is going to be, he's going to make those mistakes as a rookie manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having somebody like Osmus to kind of help like guide him there to get it, the best equivalent, think about with the football, with like a football analogies. Um, especially since our team, the Raiders, in the middle of looking for a coach. If you're going to go for that young coach, you should have a seasoned coordinator, whether it's offensive or defensive, who can at least, like, 
who has some head coaching experience can kind of guide you along those ways. That's actually a great example, Leo, because like think about Rich Passaccia and his rookie his rookie head coaching gig, and he took over that team, and then they went on that six and six and one run, was six and one run, seven and one run, something like that. Um, the defense really like kind of came together on that team, and you know you have a veteran defensive coordinator in Gus Bradley, and like they really kind of kind of uh, anchored it and and helped it out. Um, let me ask you this: Who, what, 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 uh, what, what addition are you most um, pleased or excited about? I'm, I think that I, I was actually like pretty excited for Osmus, for yeah. just because it's like having an outsider perspective to kind of come in and again with that like previous managerial background is really going to help. I'm pretty interested yeah. to see the different dynamics that Tommy Average is going to play. Um, you know, Darren Bush over the last few years has not been a fan favorite and that's been pretty apparent. I think we may have been a little too hard on him because at the end of the day, no, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. Actually, no, you're right. No, we weren't, we weren't hard enough on him, but, um, I think if you I'm look not joking, the track listeners, record, I'm dead serious. I, I no. Um, but I think if you look at the track record of just like the guys that they've brought up through the organization and put their work in, um, it shows that it, the system's working. And I think the good example is Marcus Jensen, who he was working his way through the, the minors. He was a career catcher um, when he was playing and he became a bullpen coach. And, you know, this, I think last year was a little bit of a different situation because the bullpen just every, all, everybody's arms just fell apart. But throughout this few years where he was the bullpen coach, they were the most, one of the most consistent bullpens in baseball. So if we can sort of see that, kind of consistency with um average as a new coach for hitting coach that'd be great and i think another thing too is like vegas yes it is a hitters friendly park but there were just hitting astronomical hitting numbers there so if there's and they anything were getting, that you and they were getting production out of guys who weren't top prospects sky bolt was a freaking like looked like an all-star in the minors yeah an all offense to Sky Bolt. <laughs> but, um, but it's, yeah, it's pretty wild that, like, he, hopefully, there's some of that can translate into the bigs. And if so, then, you know, maybe you find a diamond in the rough. But I think this I, is a think good that's, coaching staff. I think that says a lot about, about Darren Bush and how bad he was that these guys can be hitting so well at the AAA level and being coached so well, and then they come up here, and they're fucking dog shit. They're not productive at all whatsoever. They don't have a single good at-bat to show for their name, you know, a useful at-bat. Like, that's the way I feel about it. My, my, I was just happy that they kept the pitching staff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You Emo's – Emo, Emo and Jensen, like you just said. Like, I'm just happy that that's consistent because, like, that's been the best part of our of – our, um, of our club in the past five seasons, they've always seemed to find these diamonds in the rough pitchers in both the bullpen and starters. So I'm just happy that, that, you know, Bob Melvin didn't steal those guys. And that we, you know, especially last season with the pitching staff, because, you know, starting off the season with no Mike fires and going directly into Cole Irvin as like the number five starter. 
and then injuries with Lazardo. Fucking James Caprillion and fucking having to bring up Caprillion and Cole Irvin, dude. Like, who the fuck was Cole Irvin? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I knew just, who Cole oh. Irvin was last offseason, and I will always ride that train. As soon when that trade no, went you down, didn't know, no, you no, 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 no. You didn't know who he was. He he did well in spring training. You're like, I like this guy. Don't act like you fucking knew who he was. Like in, no, in the but minors for the past two our, years, and you're like, yeah, I've been you, talking about Cole Irvin for years, bro. Get the fuck out of here. But when you look back on the when the trade initially happened, I was looking at his numbers when as we were recording, and I'm like, you know what? There might be something that A's can tap into here. Hmm. There might be something that like you I don't know, remember that. But I believe you. I just don't yeah. Remember. I remember. I remember saying like, look, Philly has not been a great pitching organization over the last few years. Yeah. It's been pretty apparent they haven't been <clears throat> taking care of these guys well. If it's a hitter friendly park, maybe something translate. Just let me take my victory lap. God damn it. All right, next up, Chris. Unless you got I, anything I else just, to say. Uh, no, I'm good. Uh, let, let's get into right. the. Uh, let's get into the. Now we're at Barry Zito. Although we don't have a we don't have a Mark Mulder though, so I guess we're at Z- Zito and Mulder. It's gonna be Ted Lilly. He wasn't part of the big three. How dare you? He was like so maybe you, Rich you know, Harden, maybe. So you know how I know your dad is a massive Beatles fan, and you know yeah. how. There's historically always been like, oh, this person was the fifth Beatle kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like how George Martin was the fifth Beatle. Like, who would be the fourth big three? It'd be like... Rich Harden. I'd say it'd be Ted Lilly. No, it's Rich Harden. I don't think Rich Harden really blew up when all three of them were there still, though. He was kicking ass that 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 last season. We'll let the numbers check. Anyways, okay. Uh, January or January twentieth, so about a week ago, about a week ago, <laughs> uh, the Oakland Planning Commission approved the A's ballpark ERA, which is the Environmental Impact Report. It's a thirty-five hundred page report that pretty much just like, hey, how environmentally stable is this thing that you're trying to build is going to be? This has been one of the bigger votes that. We've been talking about since it feels like forever at this point, but I say over the last two, three years, this is one of the most important things they needed to at least get in front of. This the was open. the this was the main hurdle <coughs> at first. They the engineers didn't want to touch this design because they didn't think that it would pass this this thing, this vote. Yep, but now it passed unanimously in front of the Oakland Planning Commission, and the next step is it's going to be going in front of the Oakland City Council in hopes that this is going to be up for vote in the beginning of February. Uh, Mayor Libby Shaft of Oakland, California, said tonight's planning commission recommendation to send the final approvement impact report on the city council for certification is a huge win for our entire region and puts Oakland one step closer to building a landmark waterfront ballpark district with the highest environmental standards. Um, And then she kind of goes into like what exactly is going to be built in it. Mm -hmm. It's, I'll be honest with you, I tried to avoid ballpark talk because I think there's way better outlets and there's way more educated people in this outlets than I think I am with this. But I think a yeah, part so of this journey. Yeah, so why don't we just, journey, let's just celebrate it. Yeah, and I think, a, but I think also a big part is over this, this journey over these last few years is we've had to force to become a little more knowledge about this stuff. Yeah. So... With a lot of yeah, help from I think, Casey Pratt. Yes. 
our, our latest Twitter follower. Thank you so much, Casey. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Thank you. But uh, you've, I think you've, you've nailed it. I think it's just kind of taking that little victory lap and kind of shoving it in the face that we're getting closer, man. I mean, like, I, I was talking to a few people about this. Uh, I mean, what, what, what seemed like, and people who are uneducated on it because um, the national media doesn't cover the good parts of the stadium situation, like my boss made a comment um, the other day about, like, uh, or potentially could be the Las Vegas A's. And I'm like, it's like a 5% chance that they're going to be the Las Vegas A's these days, to be honest with you. Like, you know, um, it's, 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 it's looking more like they're going to stay the Oakland A's, but you know, like a year ago, it was like maybe a 40% chance they moved to Vegas. Now it's, yeah, it's pretty slim. Um, but I mean, like, like, like I said, like this, I remember when, when they first were talking about the reason why they didn't even want to go to Howard terminal, why they wanted to do the, the downtown um where um what's it where's what's the community college called there um laney college the peralta site yeah the peralta site the reason why they wanted to go there originally is because they didn't want to have to deal with this this um this uh oh my god not green why am i thinking green Uh, environmental environmental um, um situation uh because no engineer wanted to, wanted to touch it, but the fact that they got a unanimous vote from the planning commission means that structurally and and environmentally, this ballpark is very safe and sound. Um, especially compared to what, who their neighbors are going to be, which is a very interesting thing that popped up on Twitter today. Uh, <laughs> um, but what did you say? Wait, what were we? Wait, I didn't see that thing on Twitter. What was going on? It, it was so there's like a vote for like the East East um, East Oakland Alliance, whatever the fuck they are. Um, tweeted or you know they're trying to kill the Howard Terminal Bar Park uh, initiative. Um, and someone someone posted today on on Twitter. Um, it was like a, a gas leak that Schnitzer Steel um, and the docks that are right next to Howard Terminal um, just like completely just polluting the bay it's like yeah yeah like you know howard terminal is gonna be really bad for the environment but this is much better i don't know it was just funny um it i'm i'm not gonna get into it uh but anyway it um it's it's a good hurdle to to climb it was a really big hurdle to jump over um everybody seems pretty confident including dave cavill um you know you can take that for a grain of salt i guess you want but i'm gonna take it for a good thing and I think this is a good good step in the right direction, and, and it's the it's the little battles that we have to win. Um, but we will know in this calendar year whether it's going to happen or not. It's looking it's looking better and better every day. And I think the other thing that's a little more optimistic is, um, and you, I'm I'm sure you probably saw this because it was going on at Ace Twitter a lot. Is they're also trying to pass, or the city or whatever construction company is trying to work on or development company is revitalizing the West Oakland BART station with building new housing, like a retail destination and all this stuff. There's so, like skyscrapers that are going to be surrounding the ballpark. It's kind of dope. <laughs> yeah. It's going to, it's going to look like Petco in a yeah. way, if that comes through. So it sounds like to, it's funny. I've had so many people, I wouldn't say in a daily basis, but in, throughout the week, I'll have random people be like, What's going on at the stadium? What's next? And I tell people like my on like my 
God honest opinions. Like I think this is going to get done by the end of the year. Yeah. And I'm hoping by has to be by next spring, like shovels in the ground and it's, it's going to go. It has to be because it's an election year. Julio. So and absolutely. The A's That's... and the mayor are putting all the pressure that they can on the city council in an election year to like nut up or shut up. Cause your constituents want, want an answer. So I, I, I that was a point that Cavill brought up too. Yeah. He was just like, we want to get this done before it just gets too neck deep in, in this election coverage. Because it's like, if we don't get it done before like this whole cycle starts, then it's like, it's just going to get lost in the weeds. Well, also you want to get it done while, while their constituents are asking their city council member for it. And it's like, a, well, if you want my vote, you got to make this happen. So they make it happen beforehand. Then you've solidified a lot of votes for your constituents. You know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all a, it's all a domino effect. Um, but, uh, you know, I just want to touch on one thing. Actually, no, let's not talk about it. That's not, it's not relevant. I was going to talk about the, the TK thing, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, I, uh, you could just, no, no, all, no, all you no, have no, to no, say no, is, no, 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 let's not, let's I, not, I, let's I, not get I, into it. Let's not get into it. Um, I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast saw it on Tim Kawakami, not Tony Kemp. Just want to clarify that by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just, he made some nothing comments. but love he, on Tony he, Kemp on this he, podcast. This is a pro made, Tony Kemp con. I'm a fan of Tim Kawakami, but, uh, he, he didn't do his research on a certain comment. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and Dave Cavill had something to say about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. If you want to learn more information, Casey Pratt's the man, the man to follow on Twitter and you could read his articles and get some more info, some more details. We are not those people. We are fans of the team and we try to stay informed. But um, if you want the real cut and dry facts, and that's that's the guy to that's the guy to get it from. Also, I'd like to also another person who's done a pretty great job on Twitter. I don't know what their official, what their actual name is, but um, Oakland Stadium Watch on Twitter. They've also done a really great job of being up to date with information. They've really pushed that stuff out there. Um, and honestly, I think without those two people, I know there's definitely a handful of people we're kind of forgetting about. Um, I mean, Marcus Thompson's up there, but the Warriors season's gone, so he's in full Warriors effect. Yeah. But I think without those people, like, we can't thank those guys enough, and or gals potentially, we don't know what, who really Oakland Stadium watches. But without those folks, um, I think a lot of us would be not as educated and not as and more in the weeds than we could have been. So keep doing your great work. Keep finding the fight. Hopefully we'll get this done by the end of the year. Well, they'll get this done. Speaking of getting things done, Chris, guess what? Why haven't we recorded a podcast since the beginning of January when it's January 27th? Because there's still no baseball activity. Um, this could be considered but, Mulder. We'll consider this Mulder. Sure. It's not, yeah. it's not news though. It's not news because there is none. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, there's minor league signings, but it's like lock I, the I, lockout's I, still going out there. People. Um, there's been, not much traction, but um, the players are are getting more traction than the owners, it's looking like. That's right. For the first time since January 1st, uh, the MLBPA met with negotiators in person this past Tuesday, and they plan to meet again next Tuesday. Yeah. Um, it sounds like there is not really much actual traction going on, but the great thing is they're meeting. And that's probably like the first major hurdle that needed to be covered. And it be, um, it's because both sides are ha- are holding strong. Um, 
I think the owners are doing it more for show, um, but the players are not. As they no, should. the players are. This is it, how we're. This is like how the, we're, we're. You know, we talk about in the second half of this, of this podcast how baseball's dying, and this is how we save it: is getting what the players want, in my opinion. Well, what's interesting is that, like, um, I forgot who said or which podcast I was listening to or something, but they're like, you know, historically when these lockouts kind of happen, it's always been anti-players. It's always been, oh, these are the this is the players' fault for the, in the it's, public's eyes, in the public eyes, yeah. And it's a lot of the narrative is pushing towards the players. Yeah. They've been greedy. They're asking for too much. We saw this with the NBA lockout when that happened in 2011. Um, but it, it seems like a majority, the mass majority, is this is on the owners. This has been an owners thing. So some of the things that are kind of getting pushed through is they're looking to try to get a modified revenue sharing proposal. So asking them out. Similar to the uh, NBA. Like, yeah, so the amount of money shifted from big markets to smaller markets markets to kind of be cut a little bit, um, which, you know, how will that help us in the future? I don't know. I think the biggest thing is like a lot of the main stuff that we would really affect the A's, which would be like the salary floor, that teams are asking for as well as like the increase on the annual pay or the um the the league minimum salary it sounds like the league minimum salary will be increased but there hasn't been much talk about this floor which as an ace fan that's concerning because it just shows me that like no matter what this thing's gonna get blown up especially if we're not gonna talk about it too much but there's a report that came out, but right before the um, lockout happened, that the Braves were contacting the A's about Matt Olson as a backup plan for Freddie Freeman. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I, you know, what, Ace fans just ignore this talk. Stadium's looking great. Stadium's getting light up. Mm. <laughs> That's all we got right now, man. But also, there's nothing to like. I, I mean, we don't, we don't. There's no, we don't have too much of an update on exactly what's going on so like there's rumors being leaked but that like you know there's no concrete information so like i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know chris i don't feel great about the salary floor anymore i felt great about it about a month no. ago but i don't anymore i uh, the fact that we haven't heard a single like sentence about it a single word about but it here's is, the thing. is definitely if concerning if the minimum, we don't know everything but if the, if the minimum contracts are going up then salaries around the, the the league are gonna go up. That's you could look at it that way. That is true, but it doesn't mean that the A's are gonna uh, spend big money on a Matt Olson or a Matt Chapman, though. Yeah. Let's move on and uh, and it's, let's go to. There more. was actually a fantastic tweet that I saw. That um, I'm sure we've been keep. You've probably seen this going on on Twitter about uh, the like second highest win streak in Jeopardy history is a resident from Oakland. Um, nice. Her name is, her name is Amy Schneider. She set the second, she had the second most win streak, the high, second highest win streak in Jeopardy history. And I forgot how much the money amount was, but somebody quote tweeted and saying, I thought that I thought this, I thought Oakland wasn't trying to, and like pay more in millions. You just you totally butchered that, and I don't. I know I did. Do you yeah. know? Do you know what I'm talking about though? Not necessarily. No. They're like, oh, I thought 
oh, this, oh, she's now out of Oakland's like salary range, and they're gonna have to trade her. Oh, yeah, you butchered that bad, dude. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Before we go on, Chris, you're a betting man. Yeah. When this okay over? I didn't do so well tonight. The- I had a, I had a USC to cover the spread, which was seven, and they lost by two points. It was one of many. I won. One, I won one uh, of many bets. I lost tonight. I won uh, $5 on my daily fantasy yesterday. Oh, nice. Sorry, go ahead. There you go. Over under March or May 5th season starts. Uh, I would say over. I think middle of May, like May 15th. What do you got? You know what? Let's, let's have a contest. I'm going to say under. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this down. It definitely won't start on time. I would not put my money on that. <laughs> So, for the record... Because think about it. Let, let's say they settle on April 1st. Like, when... No, not April 1st. Let's say they settle on March 20th. Then they have to go to spring training. That's a month. At least. You know? It's just, you know... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All right. Not me, not not them settling down. on a deal. I'm saying, like, when, when the season start, When opening day 2022 happens i don't know are we on the you, same but i want season 20 are we on the same page about that though <laughs> taylor swift is it yes or no i don't, I don't, I don't understand that. um it's when the season starts when they're when opening day is not when pitchers and catchers when the first pitch of open yes training. yes okay well don't forget like they got like they can just shorten spring training that's what happened in 2020 is the, no the, one's what, saying they did they like a, the two, three week spring training. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying the date that we're settling on, 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 on we're settling on opening day, 2022. That is what, what, what we're picking for the over under. Not yes. when they may settle these agreements and when they report to like, or no opening day or when they... opening day, we, the Braves get their rings. Got it. Yeah. That is, I'm, I'm taking, yeah, I'll I'll, I'm, I think it's going to be May, Yeah, but I think it's, Think, Although May fifth would be cool, Cinco de Mayo. Let's go. <laughs> I think it's gonna be May. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so we're gonna take a break, and we'll be back. We're gonna talk about the Hall Woo! of Fame, uh, back. the Hall of Fame induction, um, with our good friend Tanner Wilkerson, who is a Giants fan. So he'll have some inter- interesting perspective on one of the snubs. So stick around, and we will be right. Okay, we are back from um, the break, and as we said before, we're going to talk um, the Hall of Fame vote that came, or Hall of Fame induction that came down um, on Wednesday, January 26th, quite controversial, and uh, definitely on on, uh, on social media, it was controversial, it was a story topic all day yesterday, um, 
and we'll dive into that. Uh, we have, uh, like we said before, a guest joining us, Tanner Wilkerson, a resident uh, Giants fan. Uh, Mike gives us give us an interesting perspective on that um, side of things. Um, I don't know, Julio. Where where, where do you where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with maybe we should start positive with with David Ortiz? If you unless you think it's negative. I was going to start with, I think Tanner's the first Giants fan on the pod. Um, has Xavier... Xavier's never jumped on. I think you're right. No, the yeah. one, we've tried to get him on a couple Xavier times before. Xavier Gomez, not Xavier B. Yeah. yeah. I think you are the first Giants fan, so just formally, uh, fuck you guys. Well, but... I'm honored. <laughs> no. Uh, no, yeah, but no, for Tanner, it's a lifelong friend, so it's, I've always wanted to get him on here, so I'm glad this is like the perfect opportunity to get him here. Uh, but yeah, first and foremost, Poppy 1000% deserves it. I don't think there's any arguments with that. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of the most likable baseball players, at least of our, our lifetimes over the last 20 years or so, of, or our actual baseball watching lifetimes. And I, I don't think there's any arguments with him going in. I listen, one of the most cut, clutch players ever, too. Yeah. Yeah, that that would that's that's the main point right there that I think really gets him into the Hall of Fame. So like, I was talking to or I wasn't talking. I was listening to Bill Simmons talk about it the other day this week, and he was he was talking about Big Poppy's legacy. And I think it's just because he has recency bias and he's from this generation. But he was considering like Mr. Red Sox as uh, David Ortiz, and he actually made a pretty interesting case for him because. Um, his clutch hitting in 2004 was kind of the reason why they even got out of the ALCS and came back three games to one. Um, every time he's needed, you the Red Sox have needed a big hit um, in a really clutch moment where they're kind of their backs are against the wall. And all three of those World Series, like he was the guy who really like either started the rally or finished it. You know what I mean? Like not like you know like he he was the first one on base or he was the one who brought the run the runs in. Um, you know, there's a little bit of controversy about his whole you know, steroid reputation, but there's only really one accusation uh, of it where uh, there's no record of the test. Apparently he went to this place and he, he did this, this uh, steroid test and apparently he tested positive, but there's no record that he tested positive and there's no even knowledge that like, uh, I I don't know. It's like, it's like a really sketchy situation. So like it, it, I know that like really like fired up a lot of people on, on Twitter about, you know, like how is Ortiz getting in, but Bonds isn't getting in. Um, but I, 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 it wasn't even a thought to me. Like if I had a ballot, he would have been the first name that I would have marked. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't understand the controversy with him at all. Uh, yeah, there's nothing, there really isn't no controversy. Uh, you said he wasn't proven guilty of taking steroids. So I think that would be the only thing stopping him. And even though if there was something leaked, um, yeah, no, he had a great career, a long career. Well, he got released, what, from Minnesota? That's pretty yeah. well, often Hall of Famers get released, you know, never. So that's pretty cool. And uh, overall, a likable guy, which it's is pretty, very important, yeah. which is very important for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think, too, of what, when you think about those mid-2000s Red Sox teams, is, you know, of course, you think of the big names with Manny, Pedro, Kurt Schilling, but in reality, the real drivers behind that was like those where the money ball mindset kind of started taking over baseball with like David Ortiz wasn't really much of a name when he was in Minnesota, but they found something that like, hey, he could probably tear the shit out of the ball in Boston. 
And then you think of guys like Kevin Euclid and um, I know Johnny Damon was already like a pretty established player, but he really flourished in Boston. So have you ever, think, have you ever heard the stories of, of Ortiz and like in the minors, like over in Minnesota? He used to, he hit like home run derbies where he would like out hit like established yeah, stars in the minors. He like, so that's like the big, like, kind of argument a lot of people have like oh cool he clearly used steroids because his first i think it's like his first three seasons or whatever he didn't hit a lot of home runs um and and so it's like oh look at how many home runs he hit after that but there's like stories of him in the minors like if you look at his stats like he was just fucking bombing the shit out of the ball but when he got mm-hmm. uh when he got up um up to the majors in that twins organization the manager was really big on contact so he like completely changed up um P- big poppy's like uh, overall approach at the plate so that he would try and hit for more contact. And then when he went to the Red Sox, they were like, no, fuck that dude. You can bomb the ball. So let's fucking hit out of the park as much as we can. Like, it's just, it's a really weird, like just, just way that, that managers, managers approached him in a really weird era where like things were still trying to be figured out. Um, and he really kind of like took the, the blunt of, of that, like just terrible strategy. That's, that's the only reason why he wasn't just fucking, well, that's the only reason why he doesn't have like 500 plus home runs. Wait, actually, does he have 500? Wait, does he has like his 500 and more than that? 40. Sorry, it's just, I mean, it's the yeah. only reason why he doesn't have more than that. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, the first three years, if you look at his stats right now, he has he only had what uh, 51 play appearances the first year, 300 the second year, 25 that third year. So like, you're not going to do much anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Is he the greatest DH of all time? Yeah. Um, considering I don't know a whole lot about the previous DHs from my lifetime. <laughs> That's, say, yeah. yeah. I feel like maybe because of, you know, most of your baseball watching life has been NL when you're like, what the fuck's a DH anyways? That's um, but, you know, when you think of like who's the de facto third, like DH, it's Edgar Martinez. I was going to say, Edgar but Martinez might be the other one. He's pretty That's much. Also, sur- That's still yeah. really new, too, you know? How far is, is DH even popular back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, 70s? It wasn't a thing. You know? It wasn't a thing until, yeah, yeah until so, 1970s, yes. I believe. Um, is when 1973. I, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, I think he's easily, it's like him, Edgar, and then probably Nelson Cruz. I mean, at who, this point. who would be a modern day, a modern day, like, equivalent? Like, who, who could be that? that next dh that like that could be a uh, hall of fame at least consideration chris davis <laughs> i don't think so dude i mean he no, really, oh, no, he really no, fucking no, fell off like i can't think of one who's been this consistent for this long and considering i don't think there's that no, all you're I don't think doing there's such thing as a too. dh anymore yeah. i don't think there's such thing as a full-time dh anymore yeah. it's just like everyone wants all those just you know multi-positional players and... like even We've always thought of like Giancarlo Stanton as like, oh, he's gonna be the full time DH in in New York. But even then, he's been he filled it a lot more last year than he had in previous years. Yeah, yeah. But even like, I mean, his first five years, he played the outfield, so you see, so you can't really. I don't, I don't know if you can necessarily pigeonhole him in into that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. It's oh, oh, you know what, Jordan, Jordan Alvarez. If he kind of continues on yeah. where he's been his first few years of his one. career, he'll he'll be. He's there. so fucking he, young though, dude. It's so hard to say that. I mean, you know, that's he could fall off any time. Yeah, which which kind of 
reminds me of like a, a second. I don't think we ever had this as a topic, but it also got me like really sad. I sent Tanner this video earlier. I think I sent this to you, Chris, but um, Bleach Report or somebody be like, oh, here's all the people who fell off the um, ballot because they were below 5%. And it was off the top of my head, uh, Prince Fielder, Tim Lincecum, Justin Morneau, Ryan Howard. Um, was Jimmy Rollins there? Do you remember Tanner? Dude. He's, he got 9%. <clears throat> He's still there. Oh, Tim Hudson. But it's like... I was say, Jimmy Rollins all... fell off? Like, that's fucked up. Like, Jimmy Rollins <laughs> should get... I mean, he was an MVP. He was probably one of the best shortstop in the league for a five-year run there. The, the Ryan Howard one's fucking tough, though, dude. Because he looked it's like sad. he was going to be the next Pujols. And then injuries, just injuries and injuries. Like, it's it's brutal. I mean, the guy won MVP mm-hmm. in his second season. All those guys got derailed by injuries. Prince Fielder had to retire because he had that the, gnarly back injury. I think the game changed on Jimmy Rollins. That 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 was the big thing. Where like speed wasn't as important anymore on the bases. Mm-hmm. Similar to like Jose Reyes. Remember how good Jose Reyes was during his time? Because um, he would steal fifty bases he was, a season. Yeah. But like just that the, that game just you know just completely moved past him and his skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Julio, do you, let's talk about the snubs then. I think the obvious one. So, we can get to Bonds in a second. I think we should let's uh let's talk about Roger Clemens first. So, the all-time Cy Young leading pitcher. Um definitely the greatest pitcher of the 90s, um hands down. Um the first half of the the beginning of the decade, um you can make an argument. It's probably between him and Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson actually won a World Series, so maybe Maybe he kind of wins it there. Although, oh no, wait, Roger no, Clemens, Clemens won. He did, he did. You're right. But dude, he, Randy he Johnson. I mean, Randy Johnson like carried that World Series team. You kind of have to give really him did, more credit. Yeah. Um. But you know, the whole steroid controversy is is holding him back. Um. I don't know. I think. I mean, we 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 know my stance on on this whole situation. Um. So I I think uh I think go ahead, Julio. You you can start it off. I've been a fucking Scott Rowland truther since like this ballot for a while. Like Scott Rowland was like one of the best third basemen of the 2000s, man. He was like one of my favorite players during that time. Like I love those Cardinals teams with like Ken Pujols, Jim Edmonds, like young Wayno, Chris Carpenter. He was a stud. He was like, he did like, I know like when you go look at like, oh, who's the best third baseman 2000s, it's always A-Rod because it's like, you know, he naturally shifted over there. But like Scott Rowland did everything he's yeah a gold consistent gold glove nomination he was a consistent all-star he was a good power hitter he's played on world series teams and yeah he's getting him not getting the respect is kind of a bummer i think he's gonna get in at some point he'll get in because right now he already has right now 63 percent of the votes and the writers are gonna be changing every year he'll get in he has five more i years. mean Look! Look! Look at next year look at next year's newcomers coming in like the writers have to vote for someone you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, look at the look at who's coming in next year. It's pretty flaccid. For, for that's the best way I can explain it. It's a flaccid. Yeah, yeah. It's a flaccid, flaccid team. It, it doesn't get me going at all. So I put Scott Rowland, um, the most uh, unflaccid guys. Yeah, Scott Rowland's like a, <laughs> Scott Rowland's like an Emily Ratajkowski, and the, the rest are the rest are like I don't know. I'm not gonna do this. I'm just kidding. Um, um. 
But Scott Scott Rowland, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the gold gloves, I, I just feel like, are so underestimated with his resume. Yeah, he was a, what, 10, eight-time gold glove winner. Yeah. If this was, like, today, if he played in today's baseball, he would be, like, he would be one of the best players. He would be a star of the league. You know what I mean? Because I feel like this era, we we, sure. we appreciate defense a lot more um, mm-hmm. than, than, you know, back, back in the – in the early 2000s and 90s tanner who you got who's your your big reference re- or big reference your big uh big snub snub well obviously yeah everybody everybody, <laughs> hold, everybody hold on to your nickas here we go yeah no um well obviously Barry Bonds. so um it's just a joke that he's not in. same with clemens they're on the same boat they both need to be in i think that it's just kind of ridiculous that you know, we all grew up watching this. Both of these guys tear up the game. They're the best athletes in baseball we've ever seen, pitching and hitting. And now they're just going to, you know, act like it never happened. Kind of just keep it out, keep pushing aside. And, um, yeah, it just it just kind of makes takes away the integrity of the hall for me. It's like they have all the statistics and everything they need to be into the hall. And they're the writers and they're trying to uphold some kind of um, uh, glamorous days of baseball with their, you know, no steroids, no nothing when they've been doing drugs since the 20s in baseball. Whether it's not steroids, it's amphetamines, it's whatever they want, you know. Um, baseball doesn't have that much of a glamorous past. And uh, I don't know why they're trying to keep people like Bonds and Clemens out, even though they took some steroids, because both of their resumes are already... Um, well worthy of the hall even before their steroid use so yeah i actually want to get your opinion on another uh giant who is semi or controversial giant that's been kind of snubbed on this ballot for a while now jeff kent jeff Mm -hmm. kent is the all-time home run leader for second baseman Mm -hmm. um i was had his stats in front of me but like there was a dude he won an mvp like, how many mm-hmm. second basemen can you save when an MVP? Uh, career numbers, 377 career home runs, five-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger, MVP. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, like, There, that's a one big controversy, well, not a controversy, but points that people made is every Hall of Fame player at some point has played alongside another Hall of Fame player on their teams. It's just the way it works out. Mm-hmm. And the argument years ago where Bond was like, oh, he's never had another Hall of Fame player. The closest to is Jeff Kent. Mm-hmm. So it's in my, it's like now we're at the point where this is his... Oh, so this is his ninth year on the ballot. Is that true, really? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, if, you, if you think about David Ortiz, yeah, his Hall of Famer was Pedro Martinez. And then, you know, Terry Francona is going to get in at some point. So yeah, he was coached by... Uh, I, but that's kind of a weird. Why would that matter if one person, a team, a oh, to sh- oh, to show uh, the real winners of a a sport or a team, you know, they always played with another player out their caliber, and that's how you got like the best teams. I guess I don't, I don't really know what the argument is for that. But if well, you really think back at, you know, these last ten years of baseball, I think the only team, well, even with the Giants, like Bochy's a Hall of Famer, and Posey's going to be a Hall of Famer. 
Mm-hmm. And then if you look at all these other teams, I, I, I get it because baseball is such a team heavy sport. I mean, a, a, any yeah, other sport out there. Yeah. Every, any other sport out there, one person can more or less carry the team to, uh, to success. I mean, even in football, look at what Aaron Rodgers has done several times. I mean, he loses the Niners in the NFC championship game all the time, but still he brings them there and he kind of like kind of carries a lot of those teams just with his high power offense and he can just fucking score on a whim. Um, ba- basketball. We all know this. I mean, that's that's. I mean, you need. There's only five guys on the court, you know, on a team. So, you know, you get one superstar. Yeah, yeah. I Easy mean, carry. Cl- cl- the the 2016 no 2018 Cleveland Cavaliers is evidence of that, and how LeBron fucking <laughs> just completely put the team on his back to get them to the NBA Finals. They got whooped. Uh, but still, I mean, like, I, it's just baseball. That's not possible. So I, I, I see that, but I don't know. I, I'd really have to do my research on on that stat um, to really think about it. Because so you were saying if Jeff Kent got in, then do you think like do you think he deserves to go in? I mean, I do. I mean, he has. You said he has an MVP. His numbers are really good. I don't know what they are compared to other people that are already in. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they look like they're definitely worthy of the haul. He had the star power, you know, of being, uh, I don't know, he was one of my favorite Giants growing up. He was well-known throughout the league, for better or for worse, kind of a dick. But, um, you know, maybe he just wasn't likable enough to, to get into the hole, because I think that's what it's coming down to for a lot of these players. That's it. stupid. That's, 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 so that's, that's the reason why both those guys aren't in, is because they were assholes. And they were assholes, and to, and they were assholes to all those reporters who were in the locker room with them interviewing mm-hmm. them every single week, and now those are the people who are controlling exactly. the votes now. So, but that was interesting. Like the first thing you said when we got on is that you said, uh, you know, Ortiz, what a, a very well-likable guy. And it's like, well, you just hit it right on the nose. Because he is a DH, he very rarely played the field, but you put him into the hall because he hit well, and he was a well-likable guy, you know? In a he's big market. Good, he's got a good smile in a, in a big market, yeah. So I think this also kind of segues into the the, the next, next thing I want to, like, kind of touch on, which it's all relative, so it's all kind of a general conversation, is that the Hall of Fame choosing to be, like, the morality police and how they pick and choose mm-hmm. what moralities they want to honor and what moral stances they want to to shame and the steroid era is one because let's face it i mean they the, the in the 1980s there was the cocaine problem in baseball they cleaned that up real quick and 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 they did they did it you know they did the best they could but it was still part of the game but they cleaned it up really quick steroids no it was good for their brand cocaine wasn't necessarily good for their brand at that time steroid era was good for their brand after the mark mcguire and sammy sosa season they're like oh this is something we could totally capitalize on we're more popular than ever we're bringing people's love back to this game and so they kind of turned a blind eye to it but you know later on in early 2010s when they're starting to look bad about it now they want to like act like they're you know above it like oh no that wasn't that wasn't the stance that we took now like no no it was just it was out of control then but we have it under control now and and in order to kind of like save face for their PR back then they're they're trying to make up for that now and it's 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 the same problem that Julio we always talk about in this podcast where it's like Baseball thinks that the rest of the public is just stupid and, and, and they, they like, you know, they're just so set in their ways. And I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just a really weird ground for them to stand on. It's like, 
You know, they don't, they don't want Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame because he bet on baseball when he was a manager. Uh, but they let Ty Cobb in, who allegedly murdered someone, and he was the part of the first Hall of Fame class. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it's just so, it's so all over the place. And Bill Simmons made a really good point on his podcast about this, where, or not that podcast. Sorry, I think it was, it was uh, a different one. Um, how people have just kind of like they don't trust baseball. Like for a long time during the golden era. It was like the one thing they could, the sport they could rely on, one thing that they could rely on, and and know that's going to be consistent and it's going to give them, you know, uh, uh, a escape from from their reality. Entertainment, but, yeah, entertainment. Yeah, exactly. But now, like, we can't trust it. It's almost like it's it's a part of our, it's a stress of our lives, and it's just like, I don't know how they fix it, but but this is not the way to do it. As much as I am anti steroid users in the Hall of Fame, it's like this is not the way to win the public back is basically i I don't understand why it's so difficult to uh like you said they're kind of all over the place right astros cheating yeah you know it gets called out everyone flips out but you know what they're not you know revoking any championship Mm -hmm. not do that just put a little asterisk say hey you guys cheated but here's your world series yeah well why why don't you do the same thing with you know clemens bonds whoever else did steroids you know put them in there put an asterisk and beyond with it you know wouldn't people would accept that so much more you know but yet we're still here 10 years later talking about the same thing that they talk about every single year steroids hall of fame you know morale so you you could even you could even do kind of similar to what they're doing with the negro leagues like they're making a section in the hall of fame for the negro leagues to to talk about that why don't you do that for the steroid era like it's known that the that this was an era of baseball if anything like what's the museum supposed to do it's supposed to edu- educate you on the history of baseball this exactly. is the history of this era so this is the steroid room for for the steroid era room and you can learn about barry bonds and how he had all these insane stats from you know 1997 to 2007 but remember these stats are insane and they're enhanced because of this reason like you get to learn about this era of baseball and and that's the thing. So it's like that's that's the problem is that like everyone, the whole country, for X amount of years during the steroid era, watched baseball happen, watched it every day on television. You know, seven fifteen. You know, first pitch till ten thirty at night. Everyone's watching baseball, and what? So now, where do those stats go? We we all saw them. Yeah, you know? and that so, was during a, a time when you know it was my it was all Michael Jordan. You think of the 90s in sports, it's all Michael Jordan. But for those couple of years, like baseball was back. Baseball was king. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, the more that we're kind of talking about this, the more I'm kind of, you know, thinking a little bit more consciously about it and not to get too far into like, the, the political scale. But like it's it people I've always heard somebody say or people have said that like baseball is like a reflection of the country, you know. And right now, I think what's happening, you know, there's so much stuff that's going on within the in the country that there's people have distrust. And a lot of that's reflected on baseball. And one of the big part of it is just like there's efforts being made to kind of discredit some of the history that's happened throughout the country where it's like no matter what, that's a part of the that's a part of our country. Like we don't yeah. like it or not. Like we, we point, need that information. We got to learn from it. We got to show the things that came out of that were positive. You got to show the things out of it that did come negative because at the end of the day, there's so many shitty players that took steroids. There are so many terrible players that took steroids. Think about somebody like Brady Anderson. He had what one or two good years. That was it. 
Never heard from again. Um, shout out to former Oakland great Jack Cust. We had a one-year glory run, and then that was it. So the argument you can make for these, you know, these writers are so adamant about not letting these guys in is like you you can take steroids as much as you want. That it's not gonna make you more talented. It's not gonna make you like Barry Bonds, who had like one of the fastest swings ever. It's not gonna make you hold on, like, hold on. No, you're wrong. So it's it's not gonna make I, I you. Gonna it's not gonna make you more talented, ever, but it is maybe. gonna or, enhance the stats quite a bit. It'll yes, but it's like just be but like there's still ways. You still gotta study. You still have to go look at film. You still have to go to practice. You still have to work hard just because you're taking these steroids. Yeah. Because look at we've seen players in the past where they had one good year. And then the following season, team in every sport, what happens? The following year, other teams study it. They analyze what works well, and they throw it against them. And those players never adapt. And they just fall off. That's the reality of all of sports business. If you can't adapt, you're done. So with somebody like... Adapt or die. Yeah, adapt or die. With somebody like Bonds, who... We Bonds like to quote to get, Moneyball on here uh, a lot, Tanner. Bonds got walked with the bases loaded multiple times, man. You'll we're never what? gonna see that again. Like that's some like shit. Like I said, I sent you that the text earlier saying that he was walked fifty-seven percent of the time in two thousand four. Mm. Out of all appearances, it's ridiculous. There was a stat where it's like, if you took out, um, if you took out, there was a season where he didn't get a single hit, he would still lead the league in on-base percentage. Do, do, let me ask you guys this question real quick. Do you guys think that he is the greatest hitter? I, I've been seeing this on Twitter a lot in the past two days. Do you think he's considered – would you consider him the greatest hitter in, in the history of baseball? I would say, yeah. One, because I'm a Giants fan. And two, because um, I don't know. When you look at the, the the old old days, you know, Babe Ruth and all those times, the pitching was not nearly as good. As it was, the pitching's even better now than it but was. That, very, was wrong, in my but. opinion, that's not a good a good excuse because the, also physical training and and whatnot wasn't as good back then as it, okay. as it is right. now. Yeah, he roots you know down in dogs and so, drinking beer before games, but it did really yeah. well. The other the other person well, anyway. who's considered the the greatest hitter of all time is Ted Williams. Just mm-hmm. there's one just before you finish. Yeah, one, you know. but um. Yeah, he's really good. I just think the the hand-eye coordination and the way that he affected the game was unlike any other player the game has ever seen. So I think the respect from all the other pitchers kind of tells you that, yeah, this dude was, if, you know, top two. Who else? Teddy Williams, 400 batting average, you know? Joe DiMaggio. I don't know if Joe DiMaggio yeah. is really considered one of the best yeah. hitters, but, like, you know, Tony Gwynn. Um, yeah, Gwynn. Gwen, well, Gwen's, you know, he was never a power hitter, but it's like when you look up the stats and see like how many times you struck out compared to the number of times you walked. Oh, that's it's, a crazy it's just one. Insane. He's probably the closest anyone's gotten to four hundred. <laughs> yeah, he's. Yeah. Um, he would have hit it in ninety four. Um, Julio, who about you? Um, because I thought about this really hard last night, and I I have a a really I feel like a really eye opening um um thought process to this whole thing. During my lifetime, yes. I think there's guys right now who are going. I think there's a pretty there's a chance that some of these guys right now could pass them. Um, but like 
I'm telling you, man. I didn't go to I didn't go to Candlestick at all growing up, but you know, going to AT and T when it was A's Giants games or going to A's Giants game in Oakland. There's not many places like and going like sporting events my whole life. There's not many places where there was an energy when it was just one person, like there yeah. was when going to watch Barry Bonds. It's like the bear, you know, the bear equivalent is like you know when Steph shoots threes, everybody's just like you know, holding back. And now you're, you're kind of seeing a little bit more at baseball, like being able to watch Otani in person has been amazing. Just like you take every single second of that and, and like watching trout in person has been a lot of fun, but there was just like an energy to him. And just like this fear of like, every time this guy come up, you're like, he's going to do damage to you. It's like, in, if you're and, in the beer line on the concourse, you're like, Oh, bonds is bonds is up, up third or up second in this. Oh shit. All right. I'll, I'll get the beer next inning. Everything. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I, yeah, I remember. I remember every night uh, the Giants game would be on. As soon as you pass the television, you see where he's out in the order, mm-hmm. and then you make your way back to the television when he's up. Yeah. You know. So my my whole thought process was okay. So they you know the old timers say Ted Williams, but Ted Williams played when the game was integrated. You can make the argument that he you know he went away to war for four years, so he threw four years away. Um, in the prime of his career, so who knows? Maybe he hit six hundred home runs. Maybe he has all-time hits. Who knows? Um, but it's really hard for me to 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 give him that crown when he kind of is under the same, for lack of a better word, restraints as Bonds is. So Bonds took steroids. Well, Ted Williams didn't get the play against Josh Gibson or all these other guys, or didn't didn't have to hit against Satchel Paige. Um, the one outlier hitter that that comes to mind that i think didn't have to go through all all of those um those controversies is hank hank aaron hank aaron played when the game was integrated he always hit high average he didn't like hit insanely high average like 350 like ted williams did but he played against all the best guys in the league he has 16 plus all-star appearances something like that home run leader like i don't understand why hank aaron isn't already just crowned this like it, mm-hmm. it it makes no sense to me so you're saying hank aaron is the best hitter of all time that's who i consider because he's the only one who doesn't have like a well you know what i mean there, there's no well after after we have to explain his hitting yeah good point yeah. I, I, there's no arguments here yeah uh mm-hmm. for the record 25 all-star games hank aaron oh fuck that's there you go uh, 305 career average the only other on base the only other person that was like really in consideration for me was i mean i guess pete rose but you know i, I don't know i mean his, his average he was always a great he always hit a lot of hits his average was kind of like all over the place actually because he struck out a lot um, um go ahead chris when i told you that like oh i wouldn't be surprised if there's like some modern players that might get on that level yeah because you know me so well when it comes to stuff. Who do you think was the first person I thought of? Oh, dude, you put me on the spot. Let me think. Hold on for a second. It's not it's Trout, It's the right? dating game. No, yeah. it's the dating game, Tanner. Yeah. It's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of it, Tanner? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. Who? Luck, who, Julio? You're going to say it. I'm going to be like, Soto. fuck. Oh, Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Good one. Tanner, his on base percentage last year was 465. That's insane. Almost half um, the yeah. Like I that, see that, that's fun. I just don't like the I mean, I agree with you. I love 
all the new guys out there, especially getting to see Juan Soto a few different times at AT&T or uh, Oracle. Um, Isn't it weird calling it that? It's really weird. Yeah. Because um, immediately when someone says that, I'm like, oh, Oracle Arena? Like, Yeah. What? No, it, it's still weird. Yeah. Um, it's just too early to say for those two to be able yeah. to even suggest that there's a possibility yeah. of him being the greatest hitter of all time, which would be pretty cool in about 15, 20 years to look back and say, oh, well, there you go. Juan Soto is the best hitter of all time. Yeah. Now, last appearances, but that, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So you know, it was a crazy thing, and it, it really just like it, it gave me a perspective thing because like All Star MLB or NBA All Star got announced. LeBron's an eighteen-time All Star. Yeah. yeah. Like I crazy. hate that. Like the only year he didn't make it was his rookie year. Like that's 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 insane. Yeah. That so is. next year, uh, yeah, let's you want to go ahead and let's go ahead and just make our early way too early predictions uh nominees for first time all-stars or all-stars hall of famers carlos beltran john lackey jared weaver jacoby ellsbury matt kane uh johnny peralta jason worth uh jj hardy mike napoli r.a dickey uh bronson arroyo k-rod andre ethier and uh, former Oakland great Joe Blanton. Do you guys, do you guys remember how big of a deal R.A. Dickey was in the moment? <laughs> do you want to know? He wanted to slay young, yeah. Yeah, just like how he brought back the knuckleball. Like even though Tim Wakefield had been doing it for Dude, for like fifteen years, forgot about that guy. Yeah, and he only really had like three good seasons, but like just the fact that he was a mm-hmm. uh, like ninety percent of his pitches were knuckleball. He was a knuckleball pitcher. He was dominating the league. He was like 40 years old. I remember he was just such a big deal. And he just came out of nowhere. It was like Lynn's sanity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's, Although, a good, that's a good comp. Here's the thing. That is a good comp. But here's the thing. Here's the difference is like he was in the league and a consistent starter until he was like 40 years old. Like that's the wild yeah. thing that no one like really like thinks about. Like, holy shit. Just, like, right, it just blew up. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. He was 30. He was 37 when he won Siam. Fucking wow. hell, dude. That's wild. Is there anybody of all those guys that you think are going to be can make it? Uh, oh, go ahead, Dan. You just rattle off way too many names for me to remember. I'll just tell you the most notable <laughs> names. I'll, I'll look. I'll, I, I'll just I, make this I, easy I, for you. I, I, I said I said this on the Twitter Spaces that we did yesterday after the announcement, of Julio. The only one that kind of moves the needle for me is Carlos Beltran, but then he has but he has steroid um, steroid stuff attached to his name as well, so. I don't. Oh no! I don't think they're steroids. He was just kind of the ringleader for the the oh, Astro yeah, yeah. team. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like a good year for Scott Rowland to potentially get in because some they have to vote. Yeah! For, they have to vote for someone. That's the reality of the situation. Or actually, no, they don't. They don't have to vote for anybody. But you know, I mean, oh god. I remember. Remember when the the year the first year that that nobody was inducted. And like people were like, after that, people would reveal their ballots, and and like it was literally mm-hmm. blank. Like that's such a fucking bitch move, dude. If mm-hmm. you're not gonna put a vote on your ballot, you should just fucking lose your ballot. Yeah. So here's Scott Rowland for the past past uh, what four or five years. 2018, he had 10 percent. 2019, 17. 2020, 35. 2021, 52. This year, 63. So there's a pretty good chance that next year, yeah. Rowland, it's his time. Yeah. I I could I could see I could see it yeah for sure. If you had a uh, um, I'll 
I'll drop this. Same question to you, Julio. Well. You're not going to answer? Oh, so uh, Scott Rowland, if I had a vote, which uh, my dream in life is to have a Hall of Fame vote, yeah. so I can just, just fuck all these boomers you, over. You better start writing uh, fucking baseball articles. Right, start... <laughs> you better hurry up. They're not going to give right. it to podcasters, um, I promise you that. You never know. You never know. I seriously doubt it. If they are fucking, if they know. Well, because broadcasters aren't in or anything like that either. So. Certain ones are. Oh, baseball writers. That's right, yeah. Oh, I guess um, I, I was trying to think. I was like, Tom Verducci does, but he's a fucking writer. Like, so I guess I'm, yeah, yeah. Usually the writers the writers go to broadcasting, but broadcasters don't become writers. That's fucking wild yeah. because the, I'm sorry to, to just real quick tangent. Not tangent, but just real quick observation. Because in, in football, broadcasters get a Hall of Fame vote. Like Chris, Chris Collinsworth always talks about who he's going to vote for in his ballot like this year. Like he, that's always like a conversation, mm-hmm. like a slow blowout Sunday night football game. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Leo. Um, Scott Rowland would probably be like the guy I think is probably should be a lock for next year. If it's going to be like that. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, the guys who are like, got the, the next four guys who are the highest percentage, um, I think should all be in. I don't, will they get it next year? I don't know. But Todd Helton, Billy Wagner and Andrew Jones, all deserve to get in. Gary uh, Sheffield. Gary Sheffield too, but it's like if they're not going to get Bar- Barry Bonds and Gary Sheffield's not going to get in. Andrew Jones, I, th- I in my opinion, more than Scott Rowland. That's kind of insane that in, that Andrew Jones isn't getting more votes. He wasn't a great, uh, consistent hitter. Like his career average is two fifty four, and he's got and like four hundred home was, runs though, right? Yeah, but Scott Rowland was two eighty one. Yeah. Uh, he's got more home runs, yeah, but it's just like, um, I don't know, Scott, or Andrew Jones' uh, on-base percentage wasn't bad, 337. Different era, though. Batting average is more important. Um, all right, we can wrap it up. Um, any uh, any any final thoughts, um, Tanner, that you want to want to throw out there? Or, or um... I just think that it's, um, uh, the way the Hall of Fame has been uh, handled is kind of the way in just a it's kind of encompasses how baseball is held, handled in general not very well and the future of baseball is not looking good when they continue doing stuff like this so unfortunately who knows how long we'll have hall of fame uh, talks in the future yeah because because no one's gonna care <laughs> I mean, this this is our biggest worry. We talk about this on the podcast all the time. It's like our who me and Julio, like our favorite sports, dying more and more every day, and it's just like yeah. it, like literally hurts to to see yeah. it. And they're doing nothing about it, and no. it's just it's brutal. I exactly. I was Br- real sorry, real shitty because if you think about it, if you look at the guys right now, we have a litter, a huge litter of Lock Hall of Famers. All like once they retire, their five years are done or passed. Like gonna get in first ballot, you know, Scherzer, Posey, Kershaw, Trout, yeah, Molina, all gonna be lock of Hall of Famers. It's like we have to go through a lot of shit before we get to that. Mm-hmm. And the next first brand, the next probably first ballot is probably gonna be Ichiro, I think, and he's not gonna be on the ballot until. Oh, Adrian Beltre will get a next or twenty twenty four. But it's like, yeah, it's it's messy. It sucks. I just hope that the people like us will still find the joy of it. We'll still spread that joy to people. But it's just it's in a weird place right now. Yeah. All right. 
Thanks for joining us, cool. Tanner. Appreciate yeah. it. No problem. Um, sorry, we weren't. We were so somber, but you know. <laughs> if you ever need a biased Giants news, get me back on it. <laughs> you got us. All right. Why right, Joey Bart's gonna be the greatest catcher of the generation? We shall see. <laughs> Peace. The Town Tailgate is an independently produced podcast. It is written and executive produced by this guy, Chris Madrigal, and my partner in crime, Julio Reynoso. It is sound mixed and edited by yours truly. Social media management and marketing is run by, once again, my partner, Julio Reynoso. And a special thanks and shout out to my brother, Larry Madrigal, for composing and producing our theme song, as well as graphic designing our album cover and artwork. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please tune in next week. Please subscribe. And last but not least, as we always say, let's go Oakland. Oh,